And why, why is, it, is it important that we're on Oxford Street um, in the centre of London? What's that about? So every year we try to uh, symbolise our protest in a different way. And this year we decided Oxford Street and uh, this part of central London, which is the heart of the fashion industry, which obviously has got a feminist context. All these clothes are being made by underweighed, undervalued women. Uh, in other parts of the world and then bought by women who are um, yeah, probably undervalued and undervalued in London. Uh, the, the sort of exploitation that is built into the fashion industry is a feminist issue. This is episode three of True Currency, produced through the Alternative School of Economics at Gasworks. I'm Ruth Beale. And I'm Amy Fenwick. And we're artists whose practice is all about finding ways of learning creatively and collectively. Over this series, we're meeting a network of extraordinary women who have been teaching us about feminist economics through their experiences and ideas. In this episode, we continue to look at women's worker struggles. Here we are at the women's strike on the 8th of March. Women's strike is an experiment with the idea of a strike. Uh, we can strike from our, you know, paid waged labour, more or less. It's not that easy, but obviously women, especially women who care for children or elderly people, are in an impossible position to strike. What we try to do is to highlight that every year, and that's why we had throughout the morning. Uh, an army of men cooking and taking care of our children and cleaning after us, uh, which we do with all the events that we organise. But of course, nobody can strike from giving birth, right? All the men they've cooked for us, you know, were birthed by a woman uh, and probably cared for by a woman for quite a while. The women's strike is impossible. That's why it's necessary. Shiri Shalmi has been a strong advocate of women's rights, including migrants, and comes from a position of anarchism and self-organising. We've known her for a long time as she has a background as an artist and a curator. I'm an organiser with United Sex Workers, which is a trade union branch organising sex workers. I'm a co-organiser, founder of the Anti University, which is an ongoing programme of radical learning and mutual education and a festival every year. I am also a founder and co-organiser of Cooperation Town, a network of autonomous, community-led, self-organised food co-ops, and I'm also a co-organiser of the Women's Strike, and probably a few other things. Uh, so the Women's Strike is a movement and an event it takes place every year on the 8th of March, which is International Working Women Day. It started in the UK in 2018 from a small group of women who wanted to organize to explore together in a collective, non-hierarchical way. So it's a feminist way of organizing. For sure. Yeah. In everything. Yeah. It's, it's kind of coming from the position that nobody knows best and no one person has like a solution that any kind of solution will have to come from a collective imagination and collective, you know, kind of well from organizing together and then again that, that that's a difference between sort of leading and organizing between teaching and organizing all those mm -hmm. things so the women's strike is an assembly that's probably very important to say it's not a 
I don't know, a committee or some kind of structure where, where somebody tells somebody what to do. There's no line management kind of, I don't know, line of control. It's an assembly. People can come and go and participate as much as they want and contribute, you know, according to their needs and their abilities and so on. From a collective kind of understanding of how we do politics, the potential for an industrial style strike, meaning striking from the labor that women do, uh, withdrawing our labor, but obviously acknowledging that the kind of labor that women do doesn't necessarily fall into the what we consider an industrial production. So it's not just the work that we do when we go to work and get paid, admittedly less than men, but still for a product or a service, but it's also the what is called the second shift when we then come home and do all the other work that falls on women, all the gendered labor that is to do with care, children, to do with the effective labor and reproducing our society, all the invisible work that women do. Am I right in thinking that that's quite influenced by Sylvia Federici and um, the idea that it's work, but it's, it's work that you can't actually strike from, so there's an impossibility there? And the idea that she kind of put forward in her writing that there is like another invisible gender dimension to labour, which is all the work that involves in reproducing the workers from giving birth to them to feeding them to make sure that they are, you know, fit and healthy. It's everything from, you know, cooking for our men, whatever that means, and, you know, to having sex with them, which is the kind of, for me, that's where it kind of moves back into the kind of realm of potential industrial action because sex work is work. And this leads us to the main focus of this episode around sex workers' rights and Shiri's work with United Sex Workers. But can we just talk about Sylvia Federici? Because you and Shiri just mentioned her. And her essay, Wages Against Housework, is one of the texts that we read in our Feminist Economics reading group. And it's been really influential within feminist economics as it outlines this idea of reproductive labour, which we hadn't come across before. So, yeah, we found out that reproductive labour is this idea that there are paid and unpaid activities that reproduce or support the workforce. Activities like cooking and cleaning and washing clothes, but also bearing children and sex. And Sylvia Federici was a Marxist feminist fighting to include domestic work in the waged capitalist economy. So, I mean, when, when we even start to think about the idea of any form of like labour rights or workplace collective organising, like everything that we have now, the weekend, the eight-hour day, sick pay. So our entire idea of what is a workplace and, you know, and therefore what is work for most people uh, is informed by union. Many of us are supposedly self-employed or employed in some kind of gig economy hell situation where all those rights are stripped again from us. But the idea of what we consider work is informed by the work of, you know, collective organising in the workplace. But when we wanted to do trade unionism, we wanted to do it in the same way that we wanted to do the women's strike, non-hierarchically, collective, you know, members-led, in the same way that, you know, I want to do the rest of my politics. So after the first women's strike, which was, for me, the first experience of sort of organising with sex workers and having a conversation with, with one of my comrades who was helping to organise the strike who was a sex worker and kind of thinking out loud, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there was a union for sex workers saying that it's work? I 
So we are in Soho right now and we are on the sex work strike. This is Stacey Clare, a member of the Sex Workers Union. It's International Women's Day and the streets are full of banners and people in costumes carrying red umbrellas, which is a symbol of sex work. A lot of people are here who are either sex workers or have been sex workers in the past or are here in solidarity. Uh, they're allies of the sex worker movement. Basically, laws and policies in the UK are not designed with sex worker safety in mind. The legal mainframe in the UK is kind of hostile for sex workers and we're demanding that that changes. We're demanding for the right to organise together, to work together, to have workers' rights, because right now our jobs are not recognised legally. We're kind of an intersectional movement, you know, like sex workers' rights links up with so many other demands for marginalised people, marginalised women, and uh, it intersects with poverty, with class, with addiction, with health justice, HIV justice. There's just like, it connects with so many other struggles. The kind of key slogan of the sex workers movement is literally sex work is work. This still needs to be articulated and like, you know, put on banners and just said like this so that people would actually associate it with work. Because of course we all have sex, I mean, you know, if we're lucky enough, uh, for free. But within the kind of life that we live now, it is work for many people, for thousands and thousands of women in London and in the UK therefore should be considered work. I mean, if people do something for money because that's how they support themselves, that is work. To get a better understanding of what struggles sex workers are facing, Shiri introduced us to Jade, who joined the union after realising that she needed support fighting the exploitation she was facing working as a stripper. I always like, introduce myself as a sex worker. I don't see any difference between you know a professional dom, a prostitute, a escort, a sugar baby, a stripper. I think that like it, an umbrella term is that we are all sex workers and we should stand in solidarity. Because no matter what you're doing under the umbrella term of being a sex worker, you should have the opportunity to do it safely. We went to the sex worker strike on Sunday and women there were saying, yeah, it's shit work, but it's work and I need it and I should have a right to do it. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of shit work out there. <laughs> exactly, yeah, there is. I've worked loads of awful jobs that I absolutely hated. And some days I sit in the change room in a strip club and I think, this is terrible. I hate it. Like, you know, I, this, I don't want to be here. But also I've sat in the back of a bar after having people harass me all day. You know, I, I've had sexual harassment in every workplace. It is, you know, it's it can be shit, but does everyone really enjoy their job that much? No. <laughs> you know, and, and just because some days we don't enjoy our jobs or some people have no other option doesn't mean that they shouldn't have the option. That's like a really powerful message. Like, just because they may have been forced into sex work by their economical, you know, situation, 
I think one of the chants at the sex worker strike was um, blowjobs are better than no jobs and blowjobs suck. So it's like, you know, <laughs> you know, all jobs suck and it's better than no job. And I completely agree, you know, it is. So I liked that one. I was at the front chanting it. <laughs> So, okay, so let's kind of moving past the, the bit where we actually say, yeah, this is actual yeah. work. Uh, what does that mean? So obviously it means that, you know, people are paid for the work and they should be paid fairly. People go to work in whichever capacity they might be working, you know, by themselves as self-employed or, or you know, and that might be in homes and flats, in hotels, wherever, online. Or it might be in organized workplaces like strip clubs or brothels. And in those places, there should be some basic fair you know working conditions the same kind of conditions that we can talk about in any other sector hours breaks holidays sick pay health and safety the really really boring kind of (laughs) day-to-day stuff that you know it's not sexy and it's not exciting so when we start thinking about sex work as just another job then all these things come into place and then of course the trade union come into place so with certain workers rights for example, when people are employees or workers, according to the UK law, come the right to organise through a trade union. And that's where we come in. Worker status is something that, again, I didn't, I didn't know that much about when I first joined the union. And I was also very apprehensive. Uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to lose like, my flexibility and I'm going to, you know, I, I don't want to be a worker. I like being self-employed because I get to choose what I do. But actually what worker status means is that you have workers' rights, which is an amazing thing. And also it sounds ridiculous to say, wow, you have workers' rights, like, because everybody should have workers' rights. And the clubs, they dictate how you dress, what time you get there. You know, you get fined if you're late, you get fined if you miss a shift. There's, it goes on and on the list of sort of things where the club dictates to you how you should act and therefore you are a worker you're not self-employed you don't get to choose what hours you work really because if you miss a shift you get fined that's not choice so in one club i worked at they took 25 percent commission on everything you paid 20 pounds to work then on top of all your earnings they took 25 percent and then on top of that if you did a certain type of dance which would be say 50 minutes which would class as four songs they would charge you for five songs, but you would only be paid for four songs. And there's no rules or regulations. You know, if you're sat on the floor and you have your phone out, a manager can walk past and say, 10 pounds. You know, you're not wearing the right outfit, 50 pounds. How money works in strip clubs is strange. The markup that they charge on cards is like in- incredible. So they, on a card payment for a normal, say a 20 pound dance, they would like charge you like 35 pounds on your card if you were a customer. And as a girl, you get paid less for a card payment. And even though that they're adding extra commission, so the club are taking so much money. And they're running a business and they're taking commission, just like you're trying to make your commission. It's just, they take a lot more for providing a, a building for you to work in, essentially. And that's what we fight for. So, I mean, a, a very, I suppose useful and recent example is that we've just taken two strip clubs in London to court, made a very simple holiday claim, trade union victimization claim, which are the things that it, this is kind of the, the day-to-day bread and butter stuff for trade unions. You know, mm-hmm. somebody didn't get pay for the holiday, you take the employer to employment tribunal. 
for me personally what it means to be part of a union is to have you know access to legal teams legal advice which usually I would have no idea what I would be talking about so I need you know maybe a solicitor or a lawyer or whatever it means protection so you know if I was going to get sacked and it was um, for some ridiculous reason I don't know they, they do they sack you for I don't know you've you've not turned up to a shift we're sacking you like no no disciplinary action that means that I can then you know take out a case on them like any other work award you know go to a tribunal whereas without being in a union I wouldn't have that that protection in order to get to the stage where we can actually get the money for the worker which would be super easy in any other sector we had to prove that she was a worker wow. meaning that she had the most basic rights at work and we proved that the judge was convinced our claim was upheld and that woman is a worker in fact from here I'm going to a meeting with the club and many other dancers who work in that club to kind of talk through the, the logistics of what does it mean to turn this workplace into a working time regulation compliant workplace. Will other sex workers and strippers be able to demand that from the clubs they work in? Strippers working in strip clubs are already workers. There's no legal dispute over it. They are misclassified as self-employed because it is very convenient for their bosses to misclassify them so they don't have to give them all those rights, which are theirs already. In fact, they're being robbed of those rights. A lot of people are uneducated on, you know, workers' rights and how the law works and surrounding sort of, you know, your, like your employment, I guess. I've been a dancer for probably five, maybe just over five years now. And there's people who, who I know who've been dancing for over a decade. And so this is completely unheard of to all of a sudden be saying, we want to have workers' rights. These women are like, what? Like, we've been fine all that. We've been doing this for 10 years. We don't need, you know, we don't need to have our, uh, how they see their rights as they are now. They think that it's going to be taken off of them, where that's not the case. So there's a lot of hostility. Strip clubs and brothels have developed a business model which is extremely useful and convenient to bosses in which workers pay to work so people pay a house fee when they come into work and the workplace you know the club or the brothel has no obligation so if it rains or if the tube is down or if whatever and nobody mm. comes because people don't want to hang out in public places too bad you paid 100 quid and uh, you earn nothing so often people actually lose money going to work it's hugely stressful and you know the stigma surrounding strippers especially is that you know you get a lot of people saying how much money do you earn or you know I bet you're loaded and you have to sit there and sort of think actually this week I have made minus you know 150 pounds and that's a hard pill to swallow I realized um, early on that the club's interest obviously is in how much money they're earning and you know it's not to protect the girls it's to protect their business essentially whereas a union is to protect workers not to protect a business it's to make sure that workers are healthy and happy and you know have the rights that they should um, so I joined the union and I tried to rally a lot of my girlfriends in the club which backfired hugely because obviously a lot of girls are very close to management I was very close with um, people who were in managerial roles and it didn't mean I was against them it just meant that I wanted to protect myself but unfortunately 
you know, obviously it's just the same in any industry where people try to unionise, managers will try to turn the workers against the union and, and you know, it worked in Sheffield unfortunately. I lost a lot of friendships, I lost my place of work, I lost income for months and months and months last year. My mental health, I lost that, <laughs> like, so um, I decided that I would stick with the union and move somewhere else because um, I feel very strongly that, you know, we need to unionise and change things in, in our industry. Without a union, there is nothing you can do. You can't, like, I remember in one of my old clubs that I worked at, I used to go and regularly complain. So say I would have, like, on a really good night, I'd have a thousand pounds in my purse. And I'd be thinking, this is amazing. I'm gonna go home with so much money. And then I'd go and cash out and I'd leave with, like, 450 pounds. So out of a thousand pounds, I'm leaving with less than half of the money that I have worked so hard for, for like an eight hour shift all night. And, and there's nothing you can do. I can't turn around and say, oh, well, you know, because I've done so well, maybe I can have free house fee tomorrow. Or they laugh at you, you're ridiculous to even suggest something. The options for independent sex workers are either work alone and be open to, you know, a whole kind of range of risks from, you know, theft to murder. And the other option is to criminalised. So to find safety in maybe working with other people in a brothel or a flat or maybe working at home with another person. It can literally be your housemate or it can be just somebody sitting at the door and yeah, open yourself to criminal record and so on. The empowerment of coming together with like actual feminists, women who want to help and stick together. It's like I've never known a community and it is a community like it and it's not just like the strippers union but just being part of the union like United Voices World like in general it's a very empowering feeling to be able to stand up but not stand up alone and you know that there's you know hundreds if not thousands of people behind you all supporting you how amazing it is to be part of such a strong community of, of strong women who are actually saying you know no take us seriously, we're not just going to be quiet, we're not going to listen to the manager, we're going to stand up together, it's really nice. In UK law there is something called case law and that means that every case kind of contributes to the publicly held common knowledge of how the law should be applied. So at the moment we've got about six, seven other cases pending in different employment tribunals up and down the country and every judge is going to look at the ruling that was you know made before him or her in that sense this is very successful and we already know there's a ripple effect already we can we get messages from different like chats saying wow did you hear this woman won worker status or people saying you know my case is about to be heard by a tribunal and i'm feeling so much confident i feel like after our recent win with the court case with the two london clubs i'm like elated about that and there's been times over the last year where I thought I'd never hear anything like that sort of good news. And I can really see progress happening. And me being here is great because I can be at the front shouting and telling everyone what I think. And then for me personally, it's I feel like I'm so involved now that I feel like any progress with the industry as a whole is like progress for me. And that's really exciting because as a, as a stripper or sex worker or anything else, any win in the community is a win for me and it keeps me going on those nights where I am making no money and I do feel like crying, I can think about, you know, actually as a community as a whole, as a union representative, you know, it's okay.
it will change, things will get better, and one day at a time we're fighting the stigma against sex workers, so I'm very hopeful. I am striking because the government pushed me into sex work and is now punishing me for being here. I'm striking because the Nordic model does not protect us. I'm striking because we need decriminalisation to be safe. So sex workers are fighting these unfair work practices And the women we heard in the last episode are also fighting for fairer and better rights for workers. They're both feminised industries where employers have found loopholes, sometimes illegal loopholes, to exploit workers. But this is a bigger gig economy issue that I think has been better highlighted in more male-dominated industries like delivery and ride-hailing companies. So this idea that when migrant women rise, we all rise means that if those sectors improve, we all benefit. We've heard about paid work, but we've also heard about work that is unpaid or unrecognised in the economy, you know, the reproductive labour. And as we heard in the first episode, one of the main points in feminist economics is this reproductive labour, is trying to account for this unpaid work, specifically care and even more specifically, parenting. There's also this thing about how jarring parenting work is with wage work, practically and financially, but also in relation to time. So in the next episode, we're going to look at the work and everyday experience of parenthood and do that alongside a theoretical exploration using psychosocial thinking that offers ways to understand the disruptive and life-changing experience of becoming a parent. Until then, take a look at our extra resources, a reading list of texts and links which expand upon some of the topics we've talked about in this episode. You can find this at www.gasworks.org.uk. True Currency About Feminist Economics Produced by Amy Fennick and Ruth Beale from the Alternative School of Economics with sound production by Lucia Scazzocchio from Social Broadcasts It was commissioned by Gasworks and supported by the Paul Hamlin Foundation and Arts Council England.